why travel is so powerful is because when you travel, you really are like, you're more alert. You're not in your like day to day. You're open your eyes more. You're more curious. You like look up at buildings and you take pictures of it because you're like, that's so cool. But meanwhile, like back in your hometown, you might also have very cool buildings that you never look up and take pictures of. So it's just like, I feel like that feeling that we get when we go somewhere new is something that is actually, you have that inside you all the time. You just have to learn how to harness it so that it's not just like, if I make it to the Amalfi Coast, I'll have that feeling. It's like, no, no, you could get that feeling if you put yourself in the right frame of mind, even in your backyard. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. This is all about diving into the nuances of collecting and ultimately finding out whether or not our guests have what we like to call the collector's gene. If you have the time, please subscribe and leave a review. It truly helps. Thanks a bunch for listening. And please enjoy today's guest on Collector's Gene Radio. Yolanda Edwards should come as no surprise to all of you as my guest today. She, like her husband, Matt Rannick, is the epitome of a collector. She cut her cloth working for Martha Stewart and a few other publications and eventually became the creative director for Condé Nast Traveler. But it's safe to say her magazine, Yolo Journal, is exactly where she's supposed to be. Yolanda and Matt have become the go-to for a lot of things, but traveling advice has always been paramount. Whether it's her writing or the photographers telling you the story, Yellow Journal and her newsletter answers all those questions you have about the hidden gems worth traveling to and where to treasure hunt while you're there. Now, although she travels the world to experience familiar and new places, one thing has remained the same, and that is that no trip is complete without hunting for goods to add to her many collections. That is the epitome of a collector. All right, let's get into it. Yolanda Edwards for Collector's Gene Radio. Yolanda, welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. My pleasure. Um, I, I want to know where you're calling in from today because it's hard to keep up with all of your and Matt's travels. Uh, so today I'm calling in from Brooklyn. Uh, I've been sort of in and out of Brooklyn, but back in the States for about a month and heading off to Europe on Monday. We'll be there. Uh, it's looking like through the whole summer. Well, that doesn't suck. Yeah, doesn't suck. But, you know, it's that kind of thing where like absence truly makes the heart grow fonder wherever you are. So it's like Brooklyn is really, it's looking really great right now. <laughs> it's home base. It's home base for it's sure. Base. Yeah. What was the last trip that you took? So uh, we just came back about a week week ago from the Napa Valley. I do some consulting for a wine company, and I was out there doing a big annual event where I bring in all these kind of interesting designers and bring in press and influencers, and it's a super fun weekend. And so I was out there for about 10 days, and um, yeah, so Napa Valley and now Brooklyn and then Rome on Monday. Oh, I love Rome. Well, so good. Can't wait. Yeah. So when I had Matt on the podcast, I always had this idea of doing something with the both of you, which I think we will for sure. But I'm excited to just chat with you today. And I want to get my listeners a little more acclimated to know more about you first. So um, 
you've worn a lot of hats, specifically, you know, creative director. And most people know you now for your magazine, Yellow Journal, and as the counterpart to W.M. Brown magazine. But let's take a step back because there's other publications where you cut your cloth, like Martha Stewart and Condé Nast were a big part of your career. So I want to make sure that we touch on that. Great. Okay. Where do you want me to start? Oh, wherever, wherever you feel is the, the best place to take us back to. Okay. Um, well, I can, I can go, you know, Matt says I have a very, um, I'm, I'm the most detoured conversationalist ever. So I won't go as <laughs> far back as I might because we would be here several hours, which I could do. But, um, but I would say my career really seems like the best place it started was at Condé Nast Traveler in the 90s. I had just met Matt and moved to New York and I needed to get a job. And through a friend, I started doing this freelance kind of filling in for somebody on maternity leave at Condé Nast Traveler as a photo editor. And I was like, what is a photo editor? I I have no idea what that is. And they said, well, you know how to do production and you've worked on creating photo shoots and past jobs. So it's basically that. And what I learned was that, yes, it was producing photo shoots uh, for photographers that were going off to do assignments in faraway lands. But there was this other part of it where there were these kind of the younger photographers um, or the photographers who hadn't quite made it yet, who would come in with their portfolios to try and maybe convince somebody who worked at the magazine to give them a chance on a job. And since I was the low person on the totem pole in the photo department, I was the one who would meet with them because this is really like back in the days when nobody had websites. The only way to show your work was to have a portfolio. And sometimes they would, you know, FedEx them in from far away. And sometimes they would bring them personally in. So I would sit there with these photographers and, um, uh, you know, it'd be like on a Wednesday afternoon, there was open portfolio drop-off day. And I didn't really know anything about photography. So I felt like such a fraud. And I would just like talk to them about like, oh, tell me about where this is and tell me about where you shot that. And, oh, what is that in that photograph? And just making small talk around the subjects that were in the photographs because I knew I couldn't speak to anything about like what kind of lens or film or, you know, nothing, nothing that actually required, like I knew they thought I was like, I actually understood photography, but I didn't. (laughs) And then, so I would kind of go from those meetings where these photographers would tell me about all these interesting places they'd seen. And I'd be like, God, I've never heard of that. Or, and, and I always was like a person who was really fascinated with collecting travel ideas and kind of always was the person that people would come to and say like, oh, I'm going to X, Y, and Z, like, where should I go? And it wasn't that I had traveled there, but it's that I had always collected like articles and clippings and put them in files. And so I had, I'd always been that person since I was like in junior high school, I collected articles and made files about places that I would go someday. And so I'd go from those meetings, super inspired and walk into these editorial meetings with editors who'd say like, oh, you know, we're going to do a story about this new hotel that's opening up in Miami. And so we're going to need 
somebody who can go there and shoot a picture of like the fake setup room. Like a rig room? Yeah. And and basically like I'd say, wait, we're we're gonna do a story about um a hotel that nobody at the magazine has actually even gone to. Like, how <laughs> do we know it's good? And they're like, Oh, well, the publicist is great and blah, 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 and we know it's this great designer and this and that. And I was like, Okay, but you know, I heard about this really cool hotel that somebody went to in Paris and and they'd be like, Yeah, but like it it didn't matter if it sounded cool because it was coming from somebody that they didn't know and they just wanted things that were new, not necessarily charming and had been there for a hundred years and none of them knew about. And so I just started back then kind of noticing this disconnect between the way magazine stories come into being. And I think like people in the style world for sure know that that is sort of like the un you know the thing that's super disappointing about a lot of media is that it's whoever has the dollars um you know it's the it's the Pradas of the world that will get the cover of GQ um because it's pay to play and it's not going to be like if there is some super young interesting designer they're going to maybe like get a tiny little something quite small, but they're not going to get anything, um, you know, substantial and certainly never a cover. And so I think like I, it, I was very naive then and it became this thing where I was like, oh, I understand. I see how the system works now. But I always thought that that was wrong, <laughs> that, <laughs> that it didn't speak to the way that people actually live their life, much like fashion, where you're like, um, most people don't dress the way that people look in fashion shows um, or what you see in fashion magazines. And so we all sort of feel like, oh, well, uh, and until you find, find your confidence, you kind of feel like, well, someday I should be able to afford those things, but I can't. So I'll just, I'll just wear these things and feel like I'm inferior. And I feel like that for me is sort of where I, I saw, I kind of always felt that way about travel. So fast forward, I evolved into being a travel editor at a parenting magazine called Cookie. And then I, that was a Condé Nast publication. And then from there, I went to Martha Stewart, where I also covered a lot of travel. And then I ended up back at Traveler in 2013, so some 15 years later. And this time I was the creative director, so I now had the big job. It's a big gig. Yeah, it was a big gig. It was like my, I really was like, uh, did they make a mistake? I mean, <laughs> I mean, did they mean it to be me? Is there another Yolanda? Like, I was like, so it was really a pinch me moment for like pretty much the whole time I was there. But still, you know, there was, it, it, it got better. The, the system of how we told stories did get better primarily because we had less money. And when you have less money, you actually have to start getting scrappy and finding stories from people who have already been somewhere and you trust their taste and maybe they have great photography of the place they went. And then you can use that in your magazine instead of the classic um, way of assigning a story that you see in a magazine is like, find the right photographer that you think is going to make the best pictures of this place, send a writer, send the photographer. 
you're looking at some sometimes like I'd, I'd say a cheap shoot would be on the thirty thousand. I mean, for the whole thing, right. and they could be up to you know in the seventy fives. When I was there in the nineties, and we were working with Helmut Newton, you're looking at a whole other level. So, at Traveler in my on my second stint, we started working with people who were great storytellers and photographers. So we'd kind of started combining them, and so I. I I loved that we got to evolve it to that place. But when I lost my job in 2018, I was like, okay, I can either just kind of go figure out a totally different career, or I can try and do that magazine that I felt like I always wanted and I haven't seen yet. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to give Yolo a try and um, and see how it see how it goes. And so the beginning was, even though I knew like print was not necessarily going to, um, I mean, print is a very specific thing, as we all know. It's you know, uh, but there are some people who love it. And I was like, I'll start with print, and then I'll move into digital. But I can't start with digital because I just don't have the bandwidth and the manpower. But I do know how to make a printed magazine. So we started with, uh, and Matt was the same thing. We started with William Brown first in the fall of 2018, and then YOLO in the spring of 2019. And it was super well received. And basically, I'm coming up on my 13th issue now. And so I do it three times a year. Next year, I'm actually going to just do it two times a year because we've really taken on the the newsletter, I think is like the best way to be communicating about travel. I feel like I want to see beautiful imagery in the magazine, but I don't want to see a lot of information in the magazine because information, if it's really good, is dense and it's not pretty. So I've kind of, you know, sort of two years into YOLO, um, started a Substack, which basically comes out every week and we cover everything from doing deep dives on cities. So we'll have, you know, black books on different places. And then we do travel planners where we say, hey, we're going to talk about Portugal in a couple weeks. So send us your questions or Italy, France, Greece, you name it. And then we also have a free newsletter that comes out every other week. So anybody who's a Substack subscriber doesn't have to pay anything. They just get this in their inbox. And it's just sort of like, hotels we've been to recently that we love. It's interviews with uh, different travel experts who really know certain places really well. So so that you kind of get to meet like travel, they call themselves travel designers or um, experts. Nobody says travel agent anymore, which is kind of too bad because it's kind of a good word, but. (laughs) And then we uh, do packing stories. And sometimes if we've been somewhere and we've had like an incredible aperitivo, like we'll get the recipe. So it's this kind of nice, like hodgepodge of travel intel that is fun to put out there. And I think it's important that we always have something that is free because we you know, that's sort of my, my whole thing is like, I don't want travel to be like, it is 
about going somewhere very far away or going somewhere that you have to be rich to go to. Or like, I think it's really important that people understand that travel is so much, it's why travel is so powerful is because when you travel, you really are like, you're more alert. You're not in your like day to day. You're open your eyes more. You're more curious. You like look up at buildings and you take pictures of it because you're like, that's so cool. But meanwhile, like back in your hometown, you might also have very cool buildings that you never look up and take pictures of. So it's just like, I feel like that feeling that we get when we go somewhere new is something that is actually, you have that inside you all the time. You just have to learn how to harness it so that it's not just like, if I make it to the Amalfi Coast, I'll have that feeling. It's like, no, no, you could get that feeling if you put yourself in the right frame of mind, even in your backyard. So it's always been my thing with YOLO is like, I know I get to go to a lot of really nice places and people see that on Instagram. And a big part of that is also like those really nice places usually have budgets to pay for editors rooms or, you know, like I don't take free flights or whatever, but like I get a lot of things like given to me and I, and also in the being able to stay in nice places. I also see that like sometimes the places that are the most simple actually are the most charming. So I feel like it's my duty to like make people who can't afford it, but want it like, it's great, but also everything is great. It's like, it's all in your head. Right. There's some of my favorite emails to get, and there's some of my favorite magazines and prints to, to have. And Yellow Journal really seems like, like a breath and, and culmination of all the work that you've done at various publications. So I would have to imagine it's kind of exactly where you want to be and probably the work you're most proud of. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's so nice when all, you know, people will say like, I went to this place, you made it so much better because like you sort of like told me exactly what to order or whatever, like the level of specificity. And and so much of it is like, it's not that I'm the person who came up with the information, but like, because obviously I can't be everywhere all over the world and there are huge, huge holes in my, you know, knowledge of places. And also like, places change. So even if I know Rome really well, like a restaurant could have management change and could be terrible when you go there. So, so I really rely on talking to people a lot. And I have a really nice small team who are always reaching out to people who are not like your sort of usual suspect, like experts on a place. Like I try and create the information in the way that you would have a dinner party like there's the cool you know shop owner and the kind of interesting artist and there's like the person who's really into style and somebody who knows food and like where you have all these people who have like shared interests but they also know one thing really well and it's just like the best kind of dinner party and there's somebody who's rich and there's someone who's poor and they really like each other because they you know whatever like that's the, that's what I try and do is like find different types of people. It's not all like 
highfalutin fashion designers, but there are some in there sometimes. And sometimes those, you know, fashion designers actually like a monastery to stay in. And, and it's like, they're not, they're actually the opposite of what you think they might be. They want just like solitude and quiet, and they don't want to go to the, you know, the Mykonoses of the world that you might imagine. So I'm just trying to put information out there that feels personal and emotional and comes from a broad group of people that like, even if you're like, I don't really love what Yolanda loves. I know she likes old world hotels and I like really minimalist, like whatever. There is always going to be somebody in there that you can relate to. For sure. And that's kind of what I love about it, right? Like the content is, it's raw, it's personable. And a lot of times you actually give the photographers a chance to kind of tell the story, which is really neat. Right, 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 right. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it was it was nice to to stumble upon in in the uh, Amex lounges in in some ho- uh, airports recently. So that was pretty fun. Oh, that's so great! Yeah, it's really nice to have it in these lounges, and then it's just such a different audience than like the people who find it in like the kind of cool store because we don't have a really. I mean, we're very homemade. We don't really have this distribution um, network. We really uh, kind of handle everything from our our Brooklyn home office. Well, let's talk collecting for a bit. And I think a great place for us to start is something that's a little bit maybe out of left field that most people wouldn't realize they collect. And that's stories. And you're a serial story collector. And I'm curious how you would say that that relates to YOLO and then subsequently you, Yolanda. Um, Story collector. I mean, I said earlier, like, I have, like, weird files. I think, like, Harriet the Spy might have been my favorite book (laughs) when I was a kid. And, like, I still think about Harriet the Spy and, like, I feel like I'm a little bit her. I also love tomato sandwiches with mayonnaise. And I do think, like, there's something about that kind of collecting stories, like, I love to study people and study what do they like? What do they want? Like, I like to know what, when I meet them, like, where did they go? I'm like the most curious person. I think both Matt and I would say we're like the most curious people in the room. Like, I don't need to talk about myself. I like to hear other people talk. Um, even though I'm talking about myself a lot right now. (laughs) Well, that's only um, because I asked you to. (laughs) But I would say the other thing I like is I do have this fascination with storytelling of like, I have a folder. I had this idea that I was going to pitch a whole story about like, you know, the sort of dirty side of making things beautiful in, in magazines. And I had this idea for a show called Pretty, and I still have that folder. And I have a lot of ideas about lots of shows. I mean, there's like super interesting stories that I collect on everything from like the intrigue of humanity, I guess. Well, it's no secret that you love antiques and and vintage hunting, and it's a big part of yours and Matt's life. I mean, everywhere you two go, you're hitting the antique shops of the world and hunting for treasures that you 
find exciting and, and you share them with, with us, which is great. But I'm curious to know, has it, has it always been this way? Has it always been something that you two loved and collected and always made a part of, of trips and traveling? We have always loved this. Like, actually, it was a couple, maybe about a month ago, a friend of ours had sent us all of these videotapes he'd made from back, like, late 90s. He had this idea that we should have a travel show. And so we went to Palm Springs, which is where Matt and I had gone on, like, our first weekend we spent together. And then that's where we got married. And so we went, we spent this weekend with our friend Dewey Nix, who's a great photographer and director. And he was videoing us going around Palm Springs, making this kind of test for a future travel show that never happened, or maybe was the precursor to Matt's show, Alternate Route. But in this show, we are like going around antiquing and then, you know, thrift store shopping, car shopping. And I was like, oh my God, I, I just, I guess we've always done that. It's like, that's what we do. Like we get somewhere, we like, it used in the nineties, it was like, look at the classifieds. Who's got a garage sale, flea markets, wherever we go. Like, um, and you know, up, up to today, it's like, when I'm thinking about what day should we leave this town to go to this other place we need to go? I'm like, well, I can't leave until Sunday night because I need to hit the Rome flea market Sunday morning. But then like, you know, so everything is so timed. Like I, of course, like sometimes I can't make it happen, but like, I really, it is just a part of this scheduling is like, oh, well, yeah, of course we'll go visit Matt's mom on a uh, Sunday for lunch because in the summertime we can hit the the great market up there Sunday morning. And, you know, so right. it's always built into our life. And I think that I was somebody who got into the idea of like used clothes because when I was a kid, my parents had no money, but I had this idea of, like the way I wanted to dress and how I wanted to look. And so I went to Salvation Army and like, that's how I, I was able to sort of like establish my style was by finding things cheap and vintage. And, um, and then I had some friends whose parents were super into antiquing and they used to take me to this flea market in Sausalito, which doesn't exist anymore, but, but we used to go there and I was like, just sort of, I, I always found people that I surrounded, I surrounded myself often with friends, parents who taught me a lot um, because my parents are great at many things, but they're not aesthetes at all. Right. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like uh, my dad's a piano teacher. He's an incredible musician. My mom is like a great writer. She's, she's, you know, super into her garden, but like, they don't care about material things at all or travel. Sure. So <laughs> what, what are some specific antiques that you collect that you're always on the lookout for every place you go to, you're always looking for at least something to add to a specific collection? So it's often things that are, usually it's more smalls because that is 
you know, it also is like, what project do we have going on? So right now we're like redoing our barn in upstate. So it's going to be the William Brown barn with this really cool new loft space that Matt will be doing a lot of cooking and perhaps workshops in and that sort of thing. And so now we're actually like looking for really interesting lamps, you know, maybe it's like from the seventies, like ceramic based lamps. And I think we're looking for more of this kind of like 1970s vibe things that we never would have looked for before. Like for our house that we have at Upstate, which is much more minimalist and I would say more Scandinavian than anything, we, we're always looking at, you know, Danish, Scand- anything in the Scandal world and Definitely like, you know, it'd be like Arabia plates, but we also like Heath plates and it feels like Heath is very much in that same kind of world or we love Bennington pottery, all of that from that sort of, you know, 60s, 70s period. So whenever we see something, even if we're not looking for it, we'll be like, okay, well, we don't know when we're going to need that. But, <laughs> but it looks like we may need it. <laughs> yeah. And then when we're in Europe, it's more like Rome. It's definitely smalls. I often find what, like, I got in ashtrays and all that stuff. Yeah. Or like incredible linens. There's a lot of great souvenir kind of things, like all of those, like, 1950s and 60s kind of souvenir books that, um, you know, they used to, because people didn't take photos the way that they did later. And so like you would go somewhere and instead of taking pictures, you would buy like the little small little photo souvenir books. So I collect all of that sort of thing. It just is like from such a period of time, I always loved the graphics and I just love the idea of like what that meant. And then I'm, you know, a huge postcard collector. Uh, I mean, it, pretty much everything that has incredible graphics and beautiful photography or is printed in a really beautiful way. Like I always get it. Right. Is there something that you collect that Matt doesn't necessarily care for and vice versa? Um, are you guys just always in unison? (laughs) No, let me think there is something. I just have to think what it, what it is. It's like, there's sometimes like he likes certain things like um, some Fornicetti things that he likes. I'm like, that is weird. Um, <laughs> like he just got this tray yesterday that I was like, what is that? It's like a huge tiger on a tray. And he's like, it's an incredibly rare Fornicetti. And I'm like, okay, I, I'll go with it. But like, I never <laughs> would have like been attracted to it or he's really, really into ceramics and he likes weird, abstract ceramics. Like I, I mean, I like Valerice from the sixties and seventies. We have so much of that in the France house and we agree on that, but like he'll also find something that's like this Sicilian um, ceramicist too. I like it but it's a little weird for me. Like I go with it. I'm not like, Oh, that's so ugly, but I'm a little like, okay. It's like, maybe you're seeing something I'm not seeing here or maybe you're just off, but only time will tell. 
You also love cookbooks, and it's something that I feel a lot of folks collect, but they don't necessarily realize that they're collecting them. So I'm curious to know, you know, what's your method for collecting these and and how are you using them? Are they decorative? Are you pulling recipes out? Because I feel like it's so nuanced and there's something so nuanced about grabbing a cookbook and choosing a recipe to make out of it, right? It's such like a thing of the past. Right. Well, I've always loved cookbooks, even though I don't really cook. I mean, if I wasn't married to Matt, I would cook. I used to cook before him, but he's like, he's so much better and he's quick and decisive in the kitchen. And as he has just become the cook in the house, like it's also a muscle that I don't exercise anymore. And especially with your daughter now in college, it's like he used to travel so much more. Um, and um, I would be at home with her and I would cook for her. Now that she's not around, I'm like, I barely, barely ever cook. But I always collected cookbooks because I just, I loved the graphics and I like looking at how information is organized. And so I feel like organizing information in a cookbook is something like there's always, you have to be very strategic about how how you lay it out and how many photos or does it have any or whatever. So we've kind of always loved having them as objects, but also Matt definitely cooks from them. Like we have a huge collection of them upstate and he always is cooking from them. Always. Like he may cross check something with like, okay, I'm just going to look online because I don't have this ingredient and see like, does somebody else have a a substitute? But he really cooks from them. And then he actually has a cookbook coming out in September, which is really exciting. But yeah, so their inspiration, literally in the, you know, what to cook from, and also just in the kind of graphic and photographic way. Being at Martha for all those you know, it wasn't all those years, actually. It was really only two years, but it seemed like forever because it was a very challenging place to work. I used a lot of the thinking about how to photograph food um, came from a lot of those cookbooks. That's great. I asked Matt this question, and I'm curious to know how you feel about it. Where do you draw the line between mixing vintage and new? Because Matt was like, I love a new toilet. <laughs> hmm I mean... I think Matt likes new more than I do. We actually have a new house project. It's like, I haven't put it on Instagram yet. So it's like, it's not real if it's not on Instagram, but it is real. And it's it's a very exciting new house project in France and the next town over from our um, house that we have now. And it's it's like a, a sort of small, like a mini chateau that we've driven by ever since we've been going to that area. And I always have said like, oh my God, that's my dream house. It's just, it's perfect. It's got this incredible walled garden. And it's, it's like, it's like something out of like a fairy tale and the price was right. And basically we're, we're closing on it um, at the end of this month. But Congratulations. um, Thank you. But this is a house that like is not going to have um, like the house that we did that 
we call Maison Medoc. That house was like two houses combined into one. We opened up a lot of walls in the back to create a lot of light. And it was really like this kind of very cool mix of new and old. And we brought in our modernist architect friend, Oscar, who did our house in upstate. And he's a real minimalist. And we had a lot of modern elements that work really well in that house. And this house, I feel like, I'm like, no, this is going to be much more of a period piece. Like, yes, of course, we'll have like some things that are modern, but like, I don't want it to feel like a museum, but I think that this will be the first time we have something where we really are like the, the house needs to like, you kind of, the house rules on this one. Like we need to kind of restore it, but restore it to what it was. And that I think will be mostly old with just a tiny bit of a tiny bit of new, but like, I'm always going to be like, I like clawfoot tub. I don't want like, I don't like modern. When I see the, some of the tubs that people put in that are sort of like a modern variation on that, it's like, yeah, it might be more comfortable than the clawfoot, but the clawfoot's just cooler. Yeah, a lot more charm. Yeah. So are you guys moving to this, the new chateau, or are you going to keep your other place still? I think the idea is that we will fix this new one, and then ultimately sell Maison Medoc at some point. Yeah. Don't need two houses in two towns. Unless we become <laughs> like uh, landlords and rent out, but that's... Also a possibility, but it seems like yeah. a pain. So who knows, but probably not. Is buying a home uh, in Europe, was it a huge difficulty and, and a lot of hoops to jump through to be able to, to do that? I'm sure that's a question a lot of people ask you. It is, um, we've only done it in France and this will be our second time. And it is, I think, surprisingly, at least in France, easier than you would imagine. Like the trick is that you have to get your funding from the States. Like you're not going to find a bank in France that's going to lend you the money. So if you have something in the States that you can basically, like either if you just have disposable income and there's so many great value things there that like you'd be shocked about what you can get for, um, you know, what's what would buy you like not even, maybe it would buy you like a one bedroom like by JFK in like an apartment building could buy you like a beautiful house that yes, you'll have to put the same amount of money in, you know, like 300,000 can buy you something. Um, 800,000 can buy you something really insane. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's just like a different market. Um, and then, you know, what we have done is, is sort of borrowed against um, our place upstate, which thank God for the pandemic. Um, uh what it did yes. for um, raising prices in places that were um, otherwise like, I mean, we were upstate for 20 years and it seemed like the real estate was just always the same. And now it's like quadrupled. So wow, that's nice. One last question before we wrap it up with the collector's gene rundown is so appreciating things like old ceramics and 
ceramic ashtrays and cookbooks and postcards. It's something really not for everybody. In fact, I would say most people probably overlook all these great things, but these are also really great places for people to start collecting. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't collect things like they used to though, which is, I find so interesting. And I'm curious to know why you think that is. I mean, I do think that there's, there's definitely, um, so many, uh, I, I feel like the Marie Kondo effect is for sure a real thing. I think like it is interesting to see how, like for some people, they just look at it as like, it is this albatross, like, uh, I mean, well, I don't feel like I can, I can't be free if I have all this stuff around me. And I totally understand that and appreciate it and maybe am even jealous of people who can do that. My brother, he moved four years ago to Copenhagen with his family and basically shed like so many things because they had a house in the Bay Area and they just like were like, why we're not gonna pay for storage. We're just gonna unload things. And right. then they moved to Copenhagen and now they've moved back and he's like so we've now gone through a shedding process like twice. And I realized like, even though like we have stuff in storage, I mean, stuff in a ship and it'll be here in a couple of weeks. Like I don't even miss it. Like, I don't even remember what's in it. And I know when it gets here, I'll be like, Oh, I love that thing. But like, there's that freedom for that, that period of time when you don't have the thing around you that you're like, Oh yeah, I don't need that. So I think like there are people who are free of things and then there are people who are in love with the things and, you know, they're, you're one or the other. And I feel like the collecting thing can happen where you're like, I've just moved into an apartment. I want to feel like it feels like me and it feels a little generic. And so like, what can I do in an inexpensive way to to make it feel more like it has some soulfulness. And so I always feel like getting things that are old and already have some sort of story and life to them is an instant way of kind of bringing some character into a space. So I would say for a, a starter person, like the reason to begin collecting is maybe for that. Like, so maybe you just got an apartment and you're like, I want a bar cart. I think that's cool. And then it's like, actually, I want to start collecting flasks because they look good on the bar cart. Or So I think it can start all, it's sort of like whatever you're into and then maybe picking one thing. It is a fun thing to do. And if you decide like you at some point are moving and you want to shed it, it's not so hard to sell those things too. Yes. All right, Yolanda, let's wrap it up here with the collector's gym rundown. So you can answer these questions based on any of the collections that you have, stories, cookbooks, postcards, any of them. All right. Okay, cool. All right. What's the one that got away? The one that got away, um, I would say a car. Like Matt and I do both love collecting cars. I know this is a big one, but there was a Mercedes that back in 1998, we were looking at the video of this car. Matt would have to give us specifics on exactly what the model was, but it was this incredible Mercedes and it was $34,000 then. And it was between buying that or um, 
putting a down payment on um, the house upstate and we didn't buy the car. And that car today, Matt said, is worth something like 800000 Oh, my so goodness. Unreal. That, that, that got away. I think <laughs> cars and watches are always where it's like, yeah, the value of it is um, crazy. Yeah, that's that's a tough one for sure. Yeah. How about the on-deck circle? So is there anything that you have your eye on, anything you're looking to, to add to a property? or? You know, I just was on the Upper East Side today and I wandered into some store because it had like, you know, the Scalamandra, the kind of red background with zebras on it that Gino's restaurant used to have um, here in New York. And they had like a waste uh, bin and um, a little like um, Kleenex tissue holder thing. So I walked in there and they had this mix of like old and new and they had these really cool like stacking little benches that were like mid-century Italian leather with like brass kind of almost like bamboo legs. And I was like, oh my God, those are so good. <laughs> like must must put on the list, you know? So yeah. I feel like I'm always looking, like I don't do eBay. If I do look for something, then I go down this rabbit hole and I do end up doing eBay, but I, I kind of stay away from it because I, I do enjoy finding it out in real life um, on my own. How about the unobtainable? So one you can't have, it's maybe in a museum or a private collection or it's just too expensive or? I mean, I think like, I love a fabric wall, like, and every time I see like a, um, I mean, this is kind of less collecting and more like interiors, but like whenever I go into these kind of like, you know, if you're in Versailles or you're at like a museum and uh, there's this one museum in Rome that I love the Doria Pamphili. And it always has like these incredible couches that are with this like perfectly distressed velvet. And they're kind of like simple. They're not like ornately designed, but like the, the shape is quite simple, but like the red velvet is just, I don't know. I just like love, I love that look. And it just seems absolutely out of range. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's in a place like Versailles. Yeah, exactly. The page one rewrites. So money, no object. If you could collect anything besides all your current collections, what would it be? Anything. Let's see. I would say like gold jewelry. I, I, I think like the, the, that is like wearable. I mean, I do wear that and I collect it but more like Matt buys it for me when we see something. But I feel like that would be something that like I, if I had only started collecting that, like from when I started going to flea markets, I'd have the most incredible collection of it. Love it. How about the goat? So who do you look up to in the collecting world? I would say John Darian. He's, I just think he's, incredible. Like I love, I love the way he puts his house together in Provincetown. I, I just love everything about like, I think he just has such an eye and it's like, nothing is like fancy. It's just soulful. And um, 
I don't know. He's he's like somebody who can like go find a branch and like put it in a vase that's from, you know, some garage sale and he just makes it look perfect. The hunt or the ownership? The hunt. That seems to be fairly unanimous. <laughs> yeah. Once I have it, I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the finding. <sighs> Most importantly, do you feel that you were born? With the collector's gene? I think I was. I actually, recently, my mom has been going through all of these notebooks and boxes of things that were her mom's and her grandmother's. And and my mom found these notebooks that were basically like scrapbooks that my grandma made, and they are just like mine. And there's like all of these other things that she's found that my grandma collected that are just like what I collect, you know, stationary postcards. And so I was like, okay, I think, I mean, it skipped over my mom, but it definitely, I think it's, it was, yeah, I think I got it. I got the gene. <laughs> there we go. Yolanda, so great to chat with you and, and thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. I know you guys have a lot going on on your end, so it's uh, always a pleasure to, to catch up and hear about all the adventures that you guys have coming up. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. You got it. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right. That does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening to Collector's Gene Radio. 